re-listening to some of these podcasts that we put out, I realized there are a couple of times that I misspoke, a couple of clarifications and corrections that I want to make real quick. But while I'm doing that, Abrams, tourniquet check, right arm. Go, baby, go. Single-handedly, by myself. On yourself. You got an injury. Okay, where's the injury? (laughs) That matters. I said right arm. Right arm, the whole thing. Yeah. So cut off at the neck, right? Ouch, that looks tight. It's supposed to be. I know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we're losing blood flow. All right, so just shy of 25 seconds. Nice. Not bad. All right, yeah. you know. Not bad. Are we going to time this and like get better each time? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the idea is as quickly as you get it on, uh-huh. the quicker the better. Right. 25 seconds is now the uh, bar. Yeah. All right. Agreed? Agreed. Yeah. All right. Okay, we we will put that down on the uh <laughs> we'll put that down on a marker board and we'll keep that. That was a good little test. I'm glad you didn't even let me know that was coming. Yeah, of course. That's good. So, all right. Uh we'll mark that that specific tourniquet FTO and uh That'll be the one that we use. Got it. So FTO is for training only for those who didn't, who weren't aware. So, um, clar- clarifications and corrections. So, in the uh, podcast where we talked about the origin of the Second Amendment, I mistakenly said John Locke when I was talking about Thomas Paine. Whoops. Yep. So, how uh, dare you? I know Thomas Paine uh, wrote wrote the book Common Sense. Um, he was a founding father. He was a uh, brilliant philosopher. John Locke, another brilliant philosopher, but he was British. He was not American. Uh, he was not from around the time of the founding. He was from around the late uh, 1600s, died in the early 1700s. Still a great um, philosopher. Uh, he did a lot of the work behind social contract theory. Still recommend that you go and look at him, but that's not who I was talking about. I was talking about Thomas Paine. Um, second thing, uh, I talked about how the uh, Brady Amendment was what uh, prevented any uh, civilian ownership of machine guns made after 1986. Uh, No, the Brady bill was actually uh, about background checks. I was referring to the Hughes Amendment. So sorry about that. Uh, Then I also talked about uh, 18-inch SBRs, and the original (laughs) uh, version of the NFA did have SBRs limited to 18 inches. It was a few years later that they wound up making a change to allow for rimfire SBRs to be 16 inches, and then shortly after that, they allowed for centerfire rifles to be 18 inches. So that's why um, short-barreled shotguns are limited uh, below 18 inches and short-barreled rifles are below 16 inches. So those out of the way. And uh, if if I misspeak, if we have uh, issues that come up, if people go onto the Facebook page, again, uh, for the sake of argument, uh, Facebook page, if you've, there's something that we screwed up, let us know. We will look it over and we will correct it if you're right. If we were if we were wrong, we might we, even we'll point it out if you were wrong. And oh, try to we correct might. Us. We might. <laughs> um, so yeah, but no, we we want to give out honest information here. We're not trying to just be uh, know-it-alls and try to say that we are the end-all, be-all of knowledge. No, absolutely, we get it wrong, uh, and we will we will let you know if that happens. All right. So, hey, we're rolling right now into our first aid construction part of the podcast. And this is kind of the meat and potatoes, what we wanted to cover today. So what I did is I went on Amazon and I spent $20 on like a 250 piece uh, first aid kit. And that was kind of the basis for the kit that we have today. Um, The reason I did that was because it's just the price to put together all the different size and types of bandages, the types of medications I wanted to have in there from Advil, ibuprofen, you know, those types of things. Um, And 
and just the, the minutia, the little things you wouldn't think about. Like um, in, in the kits, it's got, you know, little thermometer strips you can throw on somebody's forehead if they're unconscious and be able to pay attention to what's going on and, and having, you know, uh, swabs that are, you know, sealed, you know, so maybe you have a little bit of a sterile swab and things like that. Like to put the kit together, I could make multiple kits out of it if I bought all the, all the supplies, but you'd be looking at, you know, we'd be looking in the two to $300 yeah. range where I spent 20 bucks on that. And then I threw in another undisclosed amount into the rest of it. <laughs> and uh, put together some decent kits that kind of cover all the basics. Uh, these are definitely not the end all be all. Believe me, there's way more that you can cover in a first aid kit. We wanted the basic stuff that you're actually going to use on a semi regular basis, as well as a few things that you should have in every single kit. So, to me, the things you should always have in every single kit start with. <laughs> The scissors <laughs> and trauma shears are are kind of um, you know you see them you see EMTs and paramedics wear them all the time you see combat meds uh, medics do it um, but even soldiers a lot of times will carry them they're useful for all kinds of stuff you can literally cut tin cans with them there's a lot of things you can use them for but the reason why you want trauma shears specifically is so you can cut through genes you know the gene material without cutting the person right <laughs> without cutting through the human skin um, but they have little guides on them that help keep the uh, blades away from the actual skin. And cutting jeans is a lot tougher than people realize. Any kind of woven cotton is very difficult. Nylon's kind of nice because you can score it and then tear. So if you're wearing nylon pants and that sort of thing, they're you know easier to get through. And a lot of like um, you know survival gear and stuff like that mm -hmm. has thicker plastics that come with it. A lot of them have like built-in knee pads, little things like that that you would never you wouldn't think too much of. And you're like, oh, I got a pocket knife. I'm telling you, in, in a traumatic situation when your fingers are all covered in who knows what, you kind of need the ability to cut through. And, and do it safely and quickly and quickly. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. Without having to worry about nicking the person you're trying to help. Yeah. I, I pulled these, uh, trauma shears off of Amazon. Uh, they're all coated black. It's uh, Rockland guard is the name of the ones that I picked up, but they're really tough. They have, they, you can definitely tell by the feel of them that they got a good sharpness to them, good serration and the holes are oversized so that if you have gloves on your hands, you can easily slip them on and still use them. Uh, because anytime you're dealing with a trauma, um, you know, whether it's minor or major, you need to expose the area and figure out where the blood's coming from. And so we do a, a rapid trauma sweep, basically meaning going from head to toe using your fingertips, checking the back of the head, checking around the neck, around the ears, the eyes and everything, even though you can see it, still touch it and then check your hands before you move to the next area. So then check the shoulders, check your hands. Do I see any blood? Move down each arm individually. Do I see any blood? And that's how you do a rapid trauma assessment. And then you go through, you know, the torso, you go down to the hips, you go down each leg individually, each, you know, and by the end of that, if you have no blood on your hands, you're not worried about the trauma now. And now you're worried about what causes person to have this major issue. Right. So and I wasn't that thorough when I did my check after my accident. That's why it wasn't until I got around the front of my truck and was heading towards the other guy <clears> when I started to feel that pain in the back of my head. Correct. And, and if you had reached for that and yeah. I had felt and was able to pull back my hand and see the blood. Right. So those rapid trauma assessments is kind of the first key point of anytime you're dealing with something medically. If, if it's a cut, scrape, bruise, normal first aid thing like we're doing here today, you still want that in the back of your head as far as like, I need to make sure there's no other trauma here that I'm not seeing. Even though you may have watched what happened, you watched your kid fall off a rock, you you know, whatever, there may be something you're not seeing. And so still do that rapid trauma assessment. Make sure if you know somebody's wearing a backpack or they have excess clothes on, take those items off momentarily so you can assess everything. So, you know, you know a lot of times people get hurt is when they're carrying extra load mm -hmm. get that burden off of them and then check them out and and then assess things in the order of importance so when it comes to first day the order of importance is abc airway breathing and circulation those are the first three things you should 
always be looking for no matter what. If it's you yourself or if it's somebody else, a lot of times you get in a, like you're talking about a car accident, Red, airbags deploy, you can get that stuff in your lungs. It burns, it can chemically burn your lungs and your mouth. So you need to be aware of those things uh, because those gases are super hot. That expansion happens quickly and there's powder in there that helps it uh, release agent. So the bag opens properly and those hot flakes getting into you can actually cause chemical burn. Yeah. So just being aware of that and making sure, okay, am I breathing normal? Do I have an open airway? And am I bleeding? As long as those things are good and you got a heartbeat, you're going to live. <laughs> so those open your, airway, breathing normal. Yes. Then, <laughs> and then you have circulation, circulation, AKA you got a, you know, blood pressure and a heart rate. Um, so real quick, just clarification. So it's an explosive charge that sets off the, uh, yes. the airbags, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cause I had, burnt, it's not compressed I, gas It's explosives, right? Cause I had burnt hair on my arms after the accident. Well, and sometimes you can burn the hair just by the friction of the, of the airbags exploding. Yeah. But so, they didn't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it, it can be the heat from the explosive. It can be the actual bag itself rubbing against the skin and causing chafing rug, you know, rug yeah, burn. That was, basically, it was some thick material on yeah. there, and it didn't hit me because the seat back broke. But I was actually yeah. we were on our way out to your guys's house uh, last year sometime. I think it was into summer, and I had my daughters with me, and I had at the time my girlfriend with me, and we watched an accident happen right in front of us. Airbags deployed, car got trapped against the uh, the barrier. Grizzly was in a car behind us, so we stopped traffic and we hop out at the time. My girlfriend, she was, you know, had some nursing background. I'm EMT, ex firefighter, ex police officer. And, you know, so Grizzly's handling traffic control, make sure we're safe. I'm running up there and I'm cutting airbags. And you don't realize how thick those airbags are until you actually start cutting them. Mm -hmm. That's why, hey, I was really glad I had a knife on me that day because the person inside was not able to breathe clear, like cleanly. And they were hyperventilating. He's like, <gasps> like, I can't breathe. I'm like, I got you, I got you. And I'm cutting out the airbag just so we can get them out because the doors are locked shut because of how they got crumpled. Mm. It was a semi versus a small car smashing yeah. into the barrier. So, it was, you know, but like you run in those situations and it's like, uh, yeah, you don't realize those airbags are pretty tough. Mm -hmm. So these trauma shears would have been great for even those airbags because yeah. you actually want to trim them as far out of the way as you can to get access to the person. Well, well and, and if you've never seen an, an airbag deployed, there actually are holes that are there that you could be deflate. able to get those, those trauma shears in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but to, to that point, you know, you can have something that's maybe in the trunk of your car. Yeah. But if you're not able to get to it quickly and in, instead you have a knife on you, yes. you're going to reach for what you have right there handy. And so before we kind of started recording, we were talking about where to place something like this EDC first aid kit. Right. Um, one thing that came up was maybe on the back of your headrest or the back of the passenger seat headrest so that if if when an emergency happens, you just grab it right there. It's, it's Which easy is, to grab and go. Yeah, it's the reason I actually picked out this particular uh, first aid kit that's, that was on Amazon. It's a small red bag as a small red cross patch on it. So, you know, it's based off the of first aid on the back side of it. It has a small handle and that way you can separate the bag from its backing and the backing has, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. it was basically, it has Molly webbing. If you know what Molly webbing, M-O-L-L-E, um, it's a military webbing, so you can interlace fabric and basically make it solid. It also has a bunch of straps on it, and it has a clasp, uh, what would you call them, these nylon uh, click-in buckles. Yeah, it's a nylon, nylon buckle. buckle. Um, and then it also has, um, you know, buttons and Velcro, you know, there's many ways to attach this, but yeah, attaching this to the back of your headrest, something like that, where you can reach over behind your passenger seat mm -hmm. and grab that handle and pull it towards you and just rip that thing off. Well, and that That's attachment, convenient. that attachment yeah. is actually on a panel. 
So the the molly and the uh, the the nylon buckle stay and, attached. And nylon, yeah, they'll they'll stay attached, and then you can just grab by that handle and rip it off. Yep. Yeah, that was a beautiful demonstration. In the that microphone. really was. <laughs> we, we can share a link and, and a photo of this on the Facebook page as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, uh, it's a good kit. It's just a little oversized from that from uh, the other part of the kit that we got. So I bought this kit. I bought the trauma shears because those are like the two key things. Um, but there was a first aid kit that Amazon had for twenty dollars, and it has everything from, uh, I mean, thermometer, bandages, uh, aspirin, uh, you know, ibuprofen. <laughs> has moleskin if in case you get blisters up on the, uh, hiking on a trail. It's got, you know, a small set of shears on there that really aren't going to do much good. You know, it's got some gloves. It's got, you know, all the basic stuff. It has some crappy tweezers, which is why we're, we're going to go over all the things we're doing. But for $20, you really can't beat it. It's a decent first aid kit. I just don't like the flimsiness to it. And I don't like the completeness of the kit. I like to enhance things. So. Yeah, the variety is great. And the quantity is okay, right? You only need a few packets of mm -hmm. individually proportioned aspirin to, to work well in a first aid kit, but to buy that on Amazon mm -hmm. in those individually sized packets, you'd buy a 25, you know, dollar box of them. So unless you have someone that you can share that with it, cost gets pretty extraordinary. Or unless you want to keep it in storage forever. Right. right. And one of the things we talked about was starting to do a group buy for the next kits that we do, like the trauma kit and the medical response kit. Um, those are a little more in-depth, a little more detailed kits, and you need some training around those. This kit is meant to be something that Joe Blow can pick up and be like, oh, I just need a Band-Aid. Oh, I just need to be able to control this or that. You know, like just really basic stuff. But some of this goes a little bit into the emergency sector. And part of that, to me, being somebody who works around firearms, somebody who's been in, in traumatic situations, one of the things that I will never make a first aid kit, whether it's a personal first aid kit, like what we call an IFAC, or it be that, that medical response kit, it's always going to have a tourniquet in it. Mm -hmm. Because uh, whether it be a gunshot wound or a traumatic you know, injury like a tear, rip, things like that, um, if you have exposed you know, blood vessels and you know, it's, somebody's pumping out everything they've got, you've got to stop it. It's the only way you're going to save their lives, even if it's going to hurt, even if it's going to, you know, like we had a situation that one of, one of our, our fellow composite in the, in our group, uh, I was on the phone with her. She says, uh, uh, hang on, something's happening. And she's like, I gotta go. She goes off the phone. She had pulled up on a scene where a motorcycle ran into the side of a, of a bus and everyone's like, oh, don't touch the guy. Don't move him. As gas is pouring out of the motorcycle, it's hot and it's laying on him. Oh, He's unconscious. And like, you don't want to hurt him more. No, wrong. You need <laughs> right. to get the person into a safe place. That's one of the very first things you need to do. So, right. you know, again, it's this idea of like, you, you don't know what situation you're going to run into and you've got to realize if they're already unconscious, they're in the worst position they could ever be. And you taking steps to try to limit the bleeding or limit the danger that they're still being exposed to is more important than their, their actual long-term health. Okay. Cause they're not going to make it long-term if you mm -hmm. don't handle the situations. And just also, this is just a really quick caveat. There is legal, uh, a legal justification called the good Samaritan laws, right. which basically protect you. If you're showing up to a scene, you're only expected to, to perform to your level of training. So if I was an active EMT, I would only be, uh, you know, expected to perform up to the level of an EMT. I can't go and start doing sutures. Right. But 
I can handle a lot of stuff up up to there. Whereas, you know, both of you, without having that level of training, you don't expect it to handle what you can handle. And then, you know, there's no further expectation and you're not liable for anything additional that happens while you're trying to do the right thing. Right. So kind of like take away the fear of like, don't be afraid to help people. There's literally laws to protect you from them suing you or family suing you. If you have justification for your actions, just be smart, be wise, minimize the impact to the person as much as you can. Yeah, I think there's also something that is included in a lot of modern first <clears throat> Um, training seminars about talking to the person, <laughs> verifying that they are mm-hmm. unconscious and that they are, if, you know, if they are unconscious and they're in a dangerous situation, you need to act. If they aren't unconscious and they're able to communicate, you need to talk to them about that before you start putting your hands on get them. Get some consent. <laughs> right. Get some consent. Uh, I also want to throw out a little <laughs> sidebar. Uh, we need to maybe talk about what are situations that call for a tourniquet and which ones don't. We <laughs> like, will. And okay, but we're gonna actually do that under the trauma situation. Sure, sure. But I'm just, I just thinking like rubber yeah. bullets and an Antifa rally uh-uh. situation. Yeah, no, no, there's a great video yeah, specifically there is. about there's, that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you the rules with the tourniquet, just to be really quick and preface this, because you're gonna if you're gonna put it, you're gonna build your kit like us, have that tourniquet in there. But the idea is it's only for severe bleeding arterial bleeding it doesn't have to be arterial it's severe bleeding that is not controlled so what you do first anytime somebody's bleeding is you first try to apply direct pressure to the wound and then you you stop there you just try that first mm-hmm. and sometimes that means you need to pack the wound sometimes you need to add additional clothing uh you know if you don't have actual gauze but stuff it with gauze and keep putting it in there and building it up until it has enough pressure to stop the bleeding 99 percent of bleeds are going to be stopped by direct pressure. Even gunshot wounds can be stopped by direct pressure. That is your first choice. The tourniquet is the last choice. It is like, I have tried everything possible. I have applied pressure points above the location of the injury and the bleeding continues. I have tried to you know, assist them by calming down. The bleeding continues. There's no coagulation occurring. It's bleeding through all the gauze and the, and the you know dressings I'm applying. Uh, now we need to apply the tourniquet. Where does the tourniquet go? It goes the joint above the injury. So if they've got shot in the neck, you don't apply a tourniquet. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, <laughs> if, you don't want to stop blood flow? <laughs> to the head? <laughs> no. no. No, it's not conducive <laughs> to life. Uh, if they get shot in the torso, you're not using a tourniquet. Right. Okay, this is for extremity use only, namely your right arm, your left arm, your right leg, and your left leg. So if you got shot in the foot and you cannot control the bleeding and nothing is controlling it, Maybe you need to apply a tourniquet. Where would you apply that tourniquet, Rue? The joint above the injury. Right. So in this situation, so, you got shot in the foot. Where? What joint would that be then? Above the ankle. Exactly. Above the ankle, but below the knee. Sure. Right? Yeah. And then if you got shot in the thigh, where would you apply it? As high up on the thigh as possible. Exactly. So you go you go all the way up into the, the into the, yeah. the cradle of, of the hip and you apply it as high as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And but worst case, if it is a high injury and you've got that bullet wound super high in that hip, you may be applying it directly to it. That's also somewhat okay. Try to pack mm-hmm. it so it'll help the, you know control the bleeding and stuff. Uh, but a tourniquet is like worst case scenario. However, when you do need one, you can't apply it fast enough. You cannot help somebody soon enough apply that tourniquet. So I will tell you a little bit of uh, disparity there between the way that I was trained. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was trained by uh, a Marine and a uh, uh, corpsman that was attached to Marine groups. And so they were talking about only using tourniquets with arterial bleeding. And now arterial bleeding is very easy to tell the difference between arterial and and 
vein bleeding is because vein bleeding, that's that's the return flow to your heart. So the it blood's going to be a lot darker. And yeah, it's going to ooze. Um, the blood going from the heart out to the extremities, that's going to be the through the arteries. Mm-hmm. That bright blood's going to be a lot brighter, like very bright red. It's also going to be a lot more at the pace of the heartbeat. It's going to kind of spurt. spurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over time, so when I started hearing about things medically, and especially when it comes to tourniquets and just you know blood control, that type of thing, uh, all the way back to the 80s, um, tourniquets were known about. They were used in you know many different wars, but they were thought to be like, you're going to lose the limb. Right. I was going to, I was going to mention <laughs> yeah. that because that's a common misconception or fear that mm-hmm. people have when thinking about whether or not. Well, we've learned a lot about the tourniquet and we found out that like essentially, as long as you're getting this person to medical care in a reasonable amount of time, the tourniquet, number one, you're not going to lose the limb. Number right. two, it's a really good option for controlling the blood flow. If you do have a bad bleed, even if it's not arterial. So now it's going to hurt. <laughs> It, it's absolutely going to hurt because you're you're constricting the blood flow and you're compressing all of the tissue uh, in that limb. But it it actually takes uh, eight hours in order to do permanent nerve damage from uh, loss of blood flow. Correct. So uh, the the marine who was teaching me trauma training was talking about his time over um, in theater over there in the Middle East. And he said during the entire time from 9-11 on to uh, the point where he was uh, till after he had gotten out, uh, there was only one case of somebody losing a limb mm-hmm. because of a tourniquet application. Yeah. And what that was, was actually a Pakistani soldier who had been injured and one of our American medics put a tourniquet on his leg. Then they turned him over to the Pakistanis for processing for medical treatment. Yeah. So they, unfortunately the Pakistanis didn't take the tourniquet off. They has the guy's femur had been broken by the gunshot wound or or shrapnel or whatever it was. And they just put a cast on it. Mm. And so they put a cast on his leg without taking the tourniquet off. Yeah, he lost that leg. But yeah, most people, especially here in America or other developed countries, you're not going to have that kind of situation as long as you're getting the person to medical care within a timely manner. But the one, the tourniquets that you have here uh, do have kind of a space for time on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we've talked about putting a marker in the first aid kit too, but yes. that way you can actually mark the time that you put the tourniquet on. And when that person is turned over to medical professionals, they have that information readily available. If, yeah. the if emergency help. services get involved in anything that you're doing with this first aid kit, <clears throat> you want to have a timeline for them and you want to have a history for them because you're essentially doing a handoff, a medical handoff, and you need to have as much information from them as possible. And and that, those are some of the more extreme situations that you might use your everyday carry first aid kit for, but there are much less important or not important. There are much less severe treatments in here as well. Obviously, we've talked about ibuprofen, aspirin, uh, lots of different kinds of Band-Aids. And before we started here, it was we were kind of talking through, like, this is called everyday carry for a reason. It's okay to break into this for a minor boo-boo. You know, a kid has a splinter, a hangnail. You know, it's okay to break into this. In fact, that makes you more comfortable with it. We encourage Uh, it. (laughs) We encourage it, absolutely. Just uh, get familiar with it, get used to using it. Find excuses to use it. Yeah. Legitimately find excuses to use your first aid kit. Yeah, I love that. So there's a range of things here. We've kind of talked about the more extreme ones, but did you want to walk through some of the different items here? Yeah. Yeah. And basically, you know, so like we said, we got a a first aid kit that was a little more durable. It was built a little bit better. And ultimately 
The bag itself. Yeah, the bag itself that we're talking about. Um, because we want to be able to put that, uh, the shears in there. We want to be able to put the tourniquet in there. And then we've got a, a couple more items that we upgraded. The first being a pair of decent clippers. And the reason we put the clippers in there is because you've always got a hangnail. And you've always got something, you know, minor that you can use it for. You can use it for, you know, pulling... Um, you're pulling splinters, that sort of thing. If you needed to, you got a file on there to file a nail down. If it's you know cutting in, a lot of times people don't realize that like your feet just take an abuse when you're out in the wilderness and you're out mm-hmm. <clears throat> doing just regular day stuff. And so having a pair of clippers in there to be able to deal with your feet and be able to deal with ingrown toes and you name it, like these are critical little items. Oh, and I've, I've got a pair of scissors on my Leatherman that I usually have on me because I get <laughs> hangnails. I get hangnails bad. Like, and I even actually get sometimes where it's not even the nail. I get like these little chunks of skin around my nail Mm -hmm. that'll kind of break off and you catch those and you start tearing at them they're extremely painful. It's much easier just to cut them off. Yeah. And these kits are really, um, unsatisfactory when it comes to the trauma shears and the tweezers. And Mm -hmm. so I upgraded the tweezers. I got some flat ground, nicer tweezers that you can actually get in there and really like pull splinters out and use it for detailed work. All right, so that finishes up as far as, you know, there's just the extra items that I added right off the top. There's a few things we're going to do special towards the end that are just kind of random things I like to put into kits to have every day. So as we start going through the kit, Rue, why don't you start um, packing your kit and talking about the items that you're seeing and ask questions as you go, because I know some of this that you may be scratching your head, but also it helps us kind of describe what all we're putting into this first aid kit that we're going to use every single day. Yeah, I, and what I like about this process too is I'm, I'm kind of a big believer. I think Reddit's talked about this before, but not having things at your disposal that you don't really know what it is because if if when push comes to shove you're not going to be able to use it very well if you don't know what's in there and I've definitely had that experience with first aid kits before if you buy one on Amazon like we did here and it comes pre-packaged don't take for granted that oh I've got everything in there that I could ever need no 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 (laughs) you may have 500 of something you don't need a lot of so (laughs) um, or you may not know what's in there and, and not really know where to go to get the thing you need so just or not be aware that it's in there when you need it. Right. Yeah. So first thing, I mean, there's just a ton of band-aids in here, right? Like loads of them. <laughs> so uh, definitely helpful to have. And this is an everyday carry. So I don't mind having that many in there. But yeah, that's a good point. So like when we do the trauma kit, there's you're actually gonna, not really going to see band-aids. Right. Like you're going to see bandages, gauze, wrap, things like that. But as far as handling minor stuff, that's that kit's totally not related to that. This is one, something we want you to open every single day and put a bandaid on your kid. Like that's exactly what we want for it. Well, and a lot of a lot of military uh, look at this and they, they draw a, a distinction between what's called an individual first aid kit or IFAC, which is generally more trauma related. And then what is kind of semi-seriously referred to as a boo-boo kit. Yes. Which this is more what we're doing right now. Is a we're going to call kit. this, this is the, bump, the bumps and scrapes and stuff that you would normally have happen. I'm officially naming this the FAFAC. FAFAC? The FAFAC. And these FAFACs are for family first aid kits. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so it's a FAFAC for the truck. I I love these. I mean, the bandages come in a lot of different sizes. You have a couple of larger sizes. You have even down to these itty bitty ones. Like what is like 90% of what you think like cuts and scrapes are? 
It's I mean, either really, yeah, the fingertip really or mm-hmm. a finger, right? Like it's just, unless you got kids, which you get a lot of knees and elbows. True. You can get some foreheads too when they're yeah. at particular heights. Yeah. And this has um, some butterfly ones, some knuckle fabric ones, some fingertip ones. Um, and then your standard, you know, just long, <laughs> long ones of different sizes, which yeah. are great. And they have, what's nice is they have the adhesive standard ones that are kind of like a slick finish to the top of them that are a little more water repellent. And then you have the fabric bandages, which are really good for knuckles. I wondered what the difference was there. It's not immediately clear. I'm yeah. So the, that out. yeah, like a regular adhesive bandage is a, a place where you put where you're not at a joint or at a, a area that moves a lot. So like you get a cut on the arm, you're going to want to use one of just the regular adhesive bandages that are kind of slick looking on top. If you have something on a knuckle, on a finger, fingertip, um, or anywhere around your hand or around your foot where you're going to move a lot, you want a fabric one for a lot of reasons. Number yeah. one, they allow some moisture in and out. They allow it to breathe a little bit. That's really good. Um, but it also allows for that flexibility where that bandage isn't going to fall apart as you continue to use your hands and stuff. Allows the skin to breathe. That's what you want yes. to breathe. Yes. The, the mm. idea of letting a wound breathe is actually it's dumb. You The scabs actually act as a... Uh, as a as barrier, a barrier because you're trying barrier. to keep yeah. things out of the wound. Yep. So it's the skin underneath that you want to breathe, not not the wound itself. Yeah, I think we've all probably left a bandage on for too long and you take it off and your skin's like gray Wrinkled. raisins. <laughs> yeah. um, so we, there's also some uh, aspirin and ibuprofen in individual size packs, two tablets per package, about three packages a piece. Before I go further, though, mm-hmm. um, since you've had some experience here, what would be, do you have any like strategy for where you put different things within the pack? The bigger the item, the further back you want it. Um, basically because you know where to get it, right? Like it's just more of knowing your system because you can rearrange it in any way that you want. And clearly if there's something that you're starting to see that you're using more and more in the pack, what will happen is it won't really end up being in, an, in a container or a separate area. It'll end up being as soon as you open it, it's going to be right there. It's my, may not even be strapped down. So if you're using the same type of finger band-aid all the time, you'll probably have a pack of them just sitting in the middle of the kit. So when you open it up, it's just right there for you. You don't have to dig for it. Well, and I think it's, I think it's a good idea to regularly go through and refamiliarize yourself <clears throat> with what's in your first aid kits so that you never forget. So you're not in a situation where like, Oh man, I really need some burn ointment and just completely forget that you have burn ointment in, in your pack, in your, your fafac. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, in our facts. But no, I, I, another great thing for being able to have the smaller things up front is that it's easier to see immediately when you're looking for them. Correct. Rather I, than I try being to keep, obstructed by everything and having to pull out all of the big stuff in order to get to the small stuff. I like to keep the banded, like the small daily use stuff basically on one side of the kit and then the more like dramatic stuff on the other side. So like my, my trauma patches, my sterile gauze pads, um, five by nine trauma pad in here, that kind of stuff I'm going to put in the back of the opposite side. That way I just kind of like, okay, it's out of the way. It's something I'm not going to use all the time. So I know that like, oh, this is a situation I'm not used to. To, I'm probably going to go to the other side of the kit while I'm not normally going. That's perfect. Yeah. And then we have this little zipper pack on there. So would you put things like the tweezers and the clippers and stuff in the zipper pack? Yep. That's exactly what I'm putting there because those tools, when you flop this kit open, they'll always be in like their own little spot. You don't have to worry about babysitting them because there's a small set of scissors, a plastic tweezers, and then we got the you know upgraded stuff that we have. So I'm going to include all that stuff in my kit. I'm not going to throw any of it out, um, but that way all the tools are in one easy, convenient spot and they're visible uh, a lot of the panels that are inside of these kits uh, especially you know especially this one are black panels so you can't see through them 
So if you hide something behind it, it needs to be big so you can actually see what it is from the top of it. Well, and the, the panel that we've got the tools in is actually mesh, so you can see through that one. Right, that's what I meant. I, I guess I should have clarified that it's mesh and <laughs> see-through in That's some what you way. got me here for. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This is why we do it as a group, so that if we forget something, we can yep. fill it in. All right, so I do have a question Watch here. Watch back up. Yeah, we've got some alcohols, antiseptic pads, makes total sense. We also have some BZK antiseptic towelettes. Yes. So What's if you are or if you are prepping a wound area, the BZK is um, I'm trying to remember the name. Of it. It's benzene, I think, is what what it is. But it's a it's a sterilization uh, liquid. So like the alcohol swabs, you wouldn't want to put on your skin like in a wound. So is that like the red brown? Yes, yeah, the stuff? reddish brown stuff you see in the emergency room when they put it yeah. over an area they're going to operate on and benzalconium chloride. There you go. So, um, but yeah, those would be like if you're if you're if you have like a cut and you want to clean the area around the cut but not disturb the wound itself. These are these are good options. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Benzalconium chloride, but it's BZK. Chlorine, the chloride with a K. No, it's not. It's with a C, <laughs> the, chemical, the chemical symbol for chlorine <clears throat> is CL, and uh, the chemical so symbol silly. for potassium maybe it's is the, K. Uh, maybe it's the conium in the benzlaconium chloride. Uh, I don't know. What, maybe we'll have to Google it later. Yeah, but it is an antiseptic. That's what it says right on yeah. here. So if you get too lost, you can always look at the back. <laughs> right, right. Um, some more just everyday you know, situations. There's some sting relief pads, some burn creams. A burn gel. Oh, one of the things that we're going to do towards the end here is we're going to actually make a little, we're going to take an old credit card and we're going to wrap some tape around it. And there's like a million reasons for this. Um, we're going to wrap electrical tape that's red in color. And that is super useful if you have a bandage on a joint or an area where you're going to be high use. You're not going to be able to go and, you know, finish dressing it and taking care of it later. The electric tape works really good at number one, being super visible. So like, oh yeah, I got to remember my fingers jacked up, right? So it's not color coded like your, it's not a, a tannish color like your skin is or something. So it stands out really well. It lets other people know that, hey, you got an injury there. And if you're handing somebody off, a lot of times, you know, when you're trying to triage a group of people, you can use that tape to help triage and say, hey, these are my critical patients are the ones I put, you know, red tape on, right? Or black tape is the ones that aren't there. So the electric tape has a little bit of stretch to it. It does, which means that you can actually tension, you know, and use it as a, as a pressure dressing. And that's why I like to include that by putting it on a small plastic card, like an old gift card or an old, you know, club card or whatever. You can use that card for scraping off the stingers from bee stings. You can use it to help lift all of those those stinging insects. Yeah. Anything that leaves a sack and the, and the, you know, and the stinger still in there, you want to make sure to get that out there as quickly as possible. It's the time between the sting and the removal that is ultimately critical. The, I did some research on it, and they were even saying, like a bee, when it stings you and the sack comes out and it kills the bee, if you leave it in there, that's what causes issues. You could literally squeeze it with tweezers and pull it out, and it's not going to put the venom in any faster. So it's all about the amount of mm. time because there's muscles still contracting in, on those sacks, and those muscles will keep contracting over a long period of time and feed it through that stinger. Crazy. So it's about the amount of time that you leave that in there that causes the ultimate long-term pain and that sort of thing. Well, and I was I remember being told in Boy Scouts about how to scrape a stinger out rather than trying to pull it out with tweezers and yeah. squeezing that venom in there because that's ultimately that was something learning about the venom is what helped me to understand why those stings hurt is because I'm like well I've I've gotten needles before and I, I know that there are some people that have aversion to needles and they're they have, they have issues with getting vaccinations and blood draws and stuff like that but 
I, I've never had an issue with needles. So I'm like getting stung, whatever, no big deal. It just hurts <laughs> for a second. But then, yeah, learning about the venom. Oh, that's why people make such a big deal of it. It hurts for longer because they've got that poison in there. Well, and different stings feel different. I, yeah. I've been stung by a bee and it's kind of like, ow. And I've been stung by a wasp. Like, like literally feels like almost electric. It is weird. I've been well, stung by a wasp once. And that's the only time I've been stung by anything. Now you also have children to think about too. That's and their right. reactions are not going to be ours. <laughs> that is very <laughs> so true. Having some sting cream and stuff is great. There's also um, like a trauma pad in here. There's a lot of sterile gauze in different sizes. Mm -hmm. it, I, I would have to imagine that if it was a really severe wound, the amount of gauze that's in this first aid kit probably wouldn't cut it. Um, but, you know, you use what you got. And to your Well, point, sometimes the use of, so that trauma pad that's in there, what you do is you actually open it up and you string it all the way out. And then you start packing the wound with it. You don't just apply the pad directly to the wound and try to hold pressure. You actually want to pack the wound with it because a lot of these trauma kits have special clotting agents that are in them and by packing it rather than just putting the pad on the on the surface you get a lot better blood control that that's way a great call out. that's right we've got some uh some z-type gauze uh in some of our uh, ifac kits that i can go over with you and that's actually meant for like the same kind of thing is that it can unfold easily so that you can steadily feed that into a wound yeah to pack it all right, just a couple other things we've got here. Um, a rescue blanket, an aluminum rescue blanket. Obviously, these pack down really tiny, but these can be used in a number of emergency situations. They can even be used as a shelter. Um, they can be used as an occlusive dressing, which is not in this kit. Uh -huh. And so occlusive dressings, if you had a sucking chest wound, so you had something puncture a lung and you have a lung collapsing, you can actually tape down, you can cut that into a small piece, into a small square, put it over the wound and tape three sides of it. And what it'll do is allow, when the lungs are expanding, it'll allow the air to leave. But then as soon as they suck, as soon as they try to release the breath, it won't allow air to go back in. Reverse, when, when they're breathing out, it won't allow when you're breathing it'll, in. When you're breathing out, it'll allow the <clears throat> air to leave. Think about it, when you're breathing in, what happens to your chest? It expands. Yeah. That expansion is where it's going to push the air that is on the outside of the lungs out. Okay. So, yeah, I was just thinking about the way the pattern of breath. Okay. Yeah. I got you now. <laughs> yeah. You can also do the same thing with a credit card, though. This is true. You can yeah, pull it off with a credit card. Yeah. I actually card. thought that's what we were going to be using the credit cards for today. Like you said, multi-use. <laughs> yes, The absolutely. problem. So how we'll wrap those credit cards up, maybe we'll put two in there since you have so many extras. Because how we'll wrap the credit card, it'll, the bottom portion of it is going to have uh, the, the black Gorilla Tape on it. Because that stuff is just super useful for a million reasons. Um, and then it's the top part of it is going to have the electrical tape wrapped around it. And that way you've always got some you know resource there for you. But then we'll have another card there. Maybe for more utility purpose. Well, hey, um, they use duct tape to fix up the uh, <clears throat> the space shuttle on Apollo 13. So, and Gorilla Tape is even stronger than duct tape. <laughs> gorilla Tape's incredible. That's why I got it instead of just getting regular duct tape because duct tape's nice, but there's something about having that extra adhesive property that's critical, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, another oh. thing that I think is kind of important here are these nitrile gloves. There yep. are some people that have an allergy to latex, so looking for nitrile is great. And these ones are, they're non-sterile, but they're in an individual size pack, uh, along with some medical tape, um, like you said earlier, a thermometer and some, um, oh my gosh, what are these Tongue things? depressors? Yeah, that's what I want to call them. They're basically mm -hmm. big popsicle sticks. <laughs> you know, oh, you all and, know what I'm talking and about. And the moleskin. Um, I mean, the Abrams moleskin. mentioned the moleskin a little bit earlier, but mm -hmm. yeah, we, as we loaded it in. 
We've got the moleskin. There's some cotton swabs, which are essentially the what Q-tips are really called. Q-tips is a brand name. Like Kleenex. But yeah, I, there's also... Um, <laughs> What did you, what did you, what you got over there, Abrams? What'd you put in there? Oh, in there? Oh, yeah. Eye patch. So I it actually love has, this. yeah. <laughs> I think they're great. If you just want to be a pirate out in the woods with some red, you know, emergency electrical tape and you you eye patch. Yeah. I mean, we've got that, you know, rum flavored whiskey today. So I think it's on point. <laughs> uh, There's they, a theme, a running there theme. There is a theme. They also have like a, a little emergency first aid guide. Um, again, this is kind of one of those things you probably need to look over beforehand. <laughs> Familiarize yourself. If you're with actually in a, a pretty hairy situation, you don't, you don't have time for that, but it is right. good reference if you're like okay i just dealt with this bee sting how do i deal with this again taking the five seconds to read through the guide may be helpful make sure you didn't forget anything right personally i'm so used to doing this type of stuff that i these guides don't mean anything to me i know what i need to do so but based off of your familiarity with first aid first response um you know consider leaving that in your pack yeah they've got things in here about heat exhaustion and getting a tooth knocked out and um spider bites and things like that Mm-hmm. There's also a couple of rolls of tape in here um, and they're what we call surgical tape because they kind of, they'll help hold things together. You can put them over a wound, that type of thing, because the adhesive's not super aggressive. It's not going to you know hurt you. And you can actually, you know, so you can apply it directly over a wound um, and it's, it's somewhat breathable. So it'll leach out if there's, you know, blood coming through, it's, it's going to leach out. It's not like it's occlusive. Well, and it's also got the way that that's, that tape is made is that it's easily terrible. Yes. So you can tear it and when you when you put it on whatever you're trying to dress, but it's still going to have a good amount of strength so that it's still going to hold whatever you're trying to tape up. Yeah. And that's something that's sure I could tear the uh, the gorilla tape relatively easily. I know some people don't have the same kind of grip strength that I do and might have a little bit more difficulty with that. But even I would struggle with the uh, with the electrical tape. Uh, yeah, so electrical tape is actually easier to, to, you don't really cut it. You just pull tension hard enough that it just pops. That's how I like to do it. I literally had this finger taped up last night as I was working on the motorcycle because I sliced it up oh, with a spring, yeah. this tiniest little spring. I didn't even know it because I'm covered in grease mm-hmm. and I'm looking down. There's blood everywhere. I'm like, what is going on? And so I start looking around my fingers covered in blood. And so I literally went and grabbed red electrical tape and a small bandage, put the small bandage over the top of my finger just to, you know, basically I wanted to keep the grease out of it after I clean it. And then it was wrapped with electrical tape yeah. and went on with my night. I did forget to mention there's also um, antibacterial ointment in here, which yeah. I hope you triple <laughs> Triple antibiotic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is good to use. Um, you only want to start applying any kind of ointments and topical dressings once you've cleaned the wound. And I think that's the one thing that these, these kits lack, and it's a really hard thing to do. Basically, that's why you need to carry water. When Ruth's talking about her everyday carry is water, that's critical. <laughs> You've got right, to clean that wound that off. off uh, my, while we were off air. Yeah. True, true. But, so there's yeah. also an instant cold pack, which is a couple of different yeah. chemicals there that you'll you'll basically kind of break the chemical uh, divider and rub it together and it will instantly get cold so that we can use that for compression. They're one time use and a lot of times they get popped while they're in the kit. So it's a little bit frustrating. <laughs> so you you basically need to check on those once in a while. And if it's hard, it's already used. Oh, okay. So periodically when you go through your kit, check and see if it's hard. If mm-hmm. it's soft and pliable, you're still good to keep it in there. Uh, the only time that you really use those cold compresses is if you're trying to deal with a swelling issue. Sure. It's cropped up super fast. And again, any kind of swelling, 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off. You don't want to keep the cold stuff on. On it too long. 
I'm just realizing with the cold pack too, something uh, that might be good to put in here, the uh, hand warmers. Yeah. The hot yeah. pack hand warmers. We have them in our 72 hour kits, but since this is kind of an everyday situation, <clears throat> uh, I know, you know, as the weather shifts and you have children with you or even just yourself, it's nice to pop those into your shoes or your gloves or your pockets. Rue, I'm going to let you cover this subject because it was something that I thought about as I was preparing for this. And I realized it was the one thing I kind of left out of this daily kit. But feminine care products. I was just thinking about that. Is, yeah. Isn't that a fair thing? Like I got, Absolutely. I have two preteens yeah. and we're already dealing with these issues in our Absolutely. house. Girls. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and so feminine hygiene products, absolutely essential because they are, they aren't life and death, but neither are stings usually. So, you know, we're not talking about that kind of thing, but having um, a backup is sometimes yeah. critical because yeah. I'll give you an example. I've got one daughter that is already dealing with these issues and one that is not. Mm-hmm. And at the moment the younger one figures out she's having a problem and dad doesn't have a solution, I'm going to feel like a bad dad. Aww. So guess what dad's going to be doing? He's going to be prepping. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, depending on this, uh, the person's comfortability with different products, uh, generally speaking, like if we're just going to be totally transparent here, I would prefer to put some pads in the, Correct. In the everyday carry because it's universal. Those, exactly. We're talking about multi-use and um, pads can definitely be used to dress wounds as well and help to kind of um, <laughs> address bleeding issues in all forms and fashions. Which, right. We're not specifically talking about just feminine issues only they can be the pads can be used as you know a, a pressure dressing absolutely so absolutely multi-use, multi-use. we love multi-use there's also some, uh, you know, if we're talking about, maybe this isn't an everyday carry situation, but there are other products too that are a bit more universal. Not everyone would, would love to use them, but things like Diva Cups or, you know, um, silicone-based devices that can help with the, you know, f- other feminine situations, mm-hmm. right, that can be reused um, as long as you have something to clean them with. So if you're in a camping situation and, you know, you don't want to bring like 500 uh, pads, then, you know, uh, some Something like that would be great to look into as well. And they have ones that collapse down to a very small size. So they'd be perfect for something like this. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that just happened right now is Red was making sure that we prepped our tourniquets properly before putting them in the kit. Red, why don't you explain why we do that? All right. So, well, the, and how and what we did. So the tourniquets we're using right now are uh, styled. Uh, they're the uh, North American uh, tourniquets. It's a, the cat tourniquet. There's a few different brands, a few different types of uh, tourniquets. But anyway, um, so we're using the cats and the cats have that little um, time strap that's on there. And so with these tourniquets, there's um, kind of like a, a polymer C that's there attached to it to where you can. Uh, there's a windlass is what it's called. It's like a little uh, lever that you use to turn it to make it really tight. Um, there are YouTube channels and stuff that you can look up and see uh, how to properly use a tourniquet and, and the different kinds of tourniquets so you can find the one that works best for you. Um, but it has that little uh, time Velcro cover that goes over it. And what basically what I did is I took that, that will wrap over where you have the windlass catch in order to, you know, hold it in place, prevent the person from messing with it. Cause like I said, tourniquets, they're not comfortable. Um, but then you can put the, the time of the application on there. Well, I took that rather than having it wrapped around, I took that and attached it to just one side. So the rest of it's just open so that you, when you, have to actually use the tourniquet it's very quick easy to deploy and put it on because when you've got that arterial blood uh flowing like seconds count i mean you can there are certain 
arteries that uh, damage to them can cause somebody to, to bleed out in less than a minute. Yeah. So you really want to be able to apply that as quickly as possible. So being able to pre-stage it so that it's easily deployable is, uh, is something that could mean the difference between life and death. Yeah. Um, there's a, I mean, honestly, when I started in law enforcement, uh, was kind of when people started realizing we need to carry, uh, tourniquets on a regular basis because we started training for school shootings. We started training for the reality of armed action within our borders. So as we did that, we realized, you know, Hey, these tourniquets can be a real lifesaver if we're going in, not necessarily just for ourselves. So you kind of need to learn how to use them, but the, the variety that are out there and the price and the availability is incredible. Cause it used to be like, you had to go to a specific medical supply company to get them and they weren't made with very good quality. Uh, nowadays, pretty much anything you can get off of Amazon is going to be pretty decent quality. North American rescue. That's the name of the, that's what I was screwing up. North American <clears throat> rescue is the the brand that makes the cat tourniquet. Okay. Then there's a soft T wide. There's a SWAT T tourniquet, which is done in a very different style. It's actually like a long piece of uh, rubber that uh, you kind of stretch out as you wrap it around. There, there's a few other different brands, a few other different types but uh, find find one that works for you. Look it up. See the proper application of it, um, and then make sure that there are some good reviews. Because I, I know I've seen uh, some that have come out, and uh, after after people have used them and tested them out, they've found that they're not super reliable. Yeah. But it's not just uh, gunshot wounds and stuff that could be cause a, a possible use of a tourniquet. I mean, you could be, there could be auto accidents. You were talking about school and uh, talk, worried about school shootings, but shop class yeah. accidents in shop class could be something where you might need a tourniquet in order to stop arterial bleeding. Uh, my own grandfather had a, uh, a surgery where they went in and they did uh, the endoscope. They went up the artery in his leg, but he's had to be on blood thinners afterwards. And that was one of the major concerns was that that could reopen up and he could start bleeding out of that artery. And one of the things that I did was that I gave my grandmother a tourniquet and I taught her how to use it and said, Hey, if he starts bleeding from that, put this on, use that. That'll save his life. Yeah. That'll that'll keep him alive until you can get the hospital there or the, the ambulance there or get him to the hospital and they can take care of it. So you brought, you actually segued into like one of the last things I wanted to really cover uh, as far as what you would want to put in this kit. It has some ibuprofen, it has some, you know, basic, um, you know, medicines that you would need, but there's nothing wrong with throwing a small bottle of ibuprofen and Advil and that kind of thing in here as you use those items. Please use them. Do not let these things expire. No. Use what's in there while you're out and about. You're, you know, you're at the zoo with the family. You're getting a headache. <laughs> use the Advil that's in there um, and then replace it as you need to. Um, but also realize that like these these kits are wonderful for putting an inhaler. If your children have asthma, these kits are wonderful for throwing in any kind of daily medication that you would need or your children need. So think about those things and have your spares have extras in these kits so that if you're out camping, you're like, oh man, we just did this eight hour road trip <laughs> overlanding. And now all of a sudden we don't have our medicine. Ooh, oh, it's okay. I got backup. <laughs> Just wrapping up here with the electrical literally, tape. Literally wrapping yeah. up. <laughs> oh, okay, let me try this technique that you talked about, just popping it. Like literally just pull. pull. Just pull. Just pull. Okay. pull apart. Oh, hey. See? Whoa, yeah. look at you. Look at me. Okay. Yeah, cool. there's no need to tear nice. electrical tape. You just pull hard. That's awesome. Yeah. And then there's something new every day. Yeah. And the, 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 the thing that embarrasses me the most 
is I've actually used, I've actually done that with electrical tape. Yeah. Just never even thought about it. I've just, usually I will get out my knife because I usually have oh, a knife on me and I'll cut it. Yeah. When I and do electrical stuff, like on motorcycles and cars, I just pull really tight until it snaps. And then it has a nice flush tight, you know, into it. Did well, we- yeah, but we saw this with the other side. The other side is all crumpled up and mm-hmm. stuff. So that's, that's the thing that. That's the reason why I would always cut it. And I didn't really think about you relying on the pulling it apart because the other side is all, it's all crumpled up and smushed together. And that, that part of the tape is completely unusable. Well, yes, it is. Because what it, what happens is you use that, that rough end, it still stretches. So you can place the end of it and pull it tight and then get it going. And that's getting wrapped under whatever you're doing anyways. So it's never really visible. That's fair. I've never really worried about it. That's fair. It always turns out looking good to me. We we talked about this, right? Yeah. We started talking about it. We're putting, yeah, we're putting tape around credit card and debit card. You know, I wouldn't use a credit or debit card. No, these are are old old club cards. Most obviously most of the time we now have like, you know, a virtual keychain or an app. So I've got my old like pet co-pals card or my old, old like Safeway club grocery card. And we wrapped one of them with electrical tape, red electrical tape, one with black duct tape. What's cool is like I've, we've alternated the sides of the cards that we're using. So, mm-hmm. so now we're able to kind of lay them almost flat, mm-hmm. perfectly flat. So I carry, or you could even I wrap take one and wrap both tapes on the that's, one. Yeah. That's usually what I do. So like the one that, it, that no, there's nothing wrong with what you did there. <laughs> but what I, what I usually do is I'll wrap the duct tape on one end and the electrical tape on the other. That way it makes just one nice concise, you know, sized packet. And then we can throw the second uh, card in there for just using as an exclusive I thing that. because yeah. like that one that if if you have one that has tape build up on it then you're not going to be able to get it to use it as an inclusive dressing if you needed to so which is totally random hopefully out of this first gate kit you're not grabbing this one if you got to use an inclusive mm-hmm. dressing hopefully you're grabbing one that we build that's going to be trauma specific sure <laughs> absolutely so well, what do you guys say? We're going to wrap up putting this together and then we're going to take some really good photos of it and put it up on our Facebook group. And, uh, and hopefully we'll start getting some responses from you guys as we start prepping for that trauma kit. And then later down the road for that medical you know, response kit. Absolutely. Yeah. Please uh, join us there on Facebook. Let us know um, concerns, questions, other things that you'd like to put into your first aid kits, uh, anything we may have forgotten. It looks like we've got some uh, listeners from around the world already, which is awesome. Excited to see that. So please chime in there uh, with where you're from and how you heard about us. Uh, (laughs) Sprechen Sie Deutsch. Exactly. What? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, you know, some French. (laughs) (laughs) And and remember, you guys got to fill out that uh, that little questionnaire at the beginning. That's just kind of prevent ourselves from getting zucked. (laughs) Amen to that. All right, guys, with that, thanks for uh, listening in and hope you have a good week, guys. (laughs) 